You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. And we are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez, and today I have two guests joining me for a very special reason. Hello, it's Tegan. And it is I, Strasburg the Elder, and we are here to celebrate the birthday of Tegan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeedy. This is a very special Patreon birthday pick. Uh, Tegan, why don't you tell us what you chose for us to cover? I chose the movie Hereditary. It is horrifying, and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very, very tough watch, but damn, it's a good movie. I'll sit there Uh, with a grin on my face, putting in the popcorn like Michael Jackson in the Thriller music (laughs) video. (laughs) (laughs) Just happily watching the chaos. (laughs) But yeah, this is uh, from 2018. It's two hours and seven minutes. It's the directorial debut of Ari Aster. Uh, he did a couple of short films before this, but this was his first feature length. Uh, he followed it up with Midsummer, which is equally horrifying. And uh, <laughs> Bo is Afraid, which I have yet to see, but I've heard nothing but good things. Um, the uh, We are going to change things up a little bit. I know I mentioned this for anyone who listened to our anniversary episode uh, this is going to be the first of many more conversational podcasts. So any longtime listeners, they, you might be a little jarred by the change up in format, but uh, we're, we're going to see how this wor- how this works. Um, so I'm going to jump right into the cast before we jump into the what we think about the film. Um, we have Peter played by Alex Wolf. Uh, he was in My Friend Dahmer, the two new Jumanji films, Welcome to the Jungle and The Next Level, uh, Pig and Old. Then we have Steve, played by Gabriel Byrne, who I, I love this guy. Um, he, was, he was in The Keep, Gothic, Stigmata, End of Days, Ghost Ship, Assault on Precinct 13, War of the Worlds. He's in a ton of good stuff. Um, Annie, played by Tony Collette, who I also love. Uh, Velvet Goldmine, The Sixth Sense, Little Miss Sunshine, Fright Night, uh, the remake. Box Trolls, Krampus, Knives Out, and Nightmare Alley, which I still want to get on the show. Yo, she was uh, in Box Trolls? I, I watched that movie. I, I anything that friggin what is it Lockia however you say that I'm I'm sure I'm saying it wrong but that the studios that did the box trolls and Paranorman and Kubo and the Two Strings oh my god oh anything, Coraline Laika yeah like yeah, the Leica, dog that yeah oh my god those I, everything they touch I love I <laughs> I love Coraline that was like my first yeah. horror esque movie I watched it so many times I traumatized Griffin with it it was perfect. <laughs> See now, yeah. I love, I do love Coraline, but Paranorman is the one that that oh, that, I've never that actually seen that one. Feels. I hear it's really good though. Yeah, oh, it's see, so good. Griffin loves Paranorman. That's the one he watches most of the time, and uh, we have seen Box Trolls too, uh, or mm-hmm. sorry, uh, and uh, Kubo. Kubo and the Two Strings is the other one that you guys. Oh, both we love Kubo. We yeah, love Kubo. Kubo is awesome. That, I'm there that was... for the music mainly because I love the sound of um, I'm not, I don't think I'm pronouncing it right. His Shangshen, his guitar. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say that's one of the those movies that I went to go see with a couple of friends, and uh, you know, f- family friendly film. So the theater was filled with with tons of like kids and parents and all that, and I'm sitting there blubbering 
<laughs> like I had, mm-hmm. you know, skin my damn knee. I'm sitting there like, oh, just the stop oh motion. My God, chef's kiss. It's so mm-hmm. it's so oh, beautiful. Beautifully done. But yeah, so she did a voice in, in the box trolls. But um, then we have uh, Charlie, played by Millie Shapiro, who is in Splitting Up Together, J.J. Villard's Fairy Tales, and Monkey Bars. And then finally, we have Joan, played by Ann Dowd, who is in Apt Pupil, The X-Files, Freaks and Geeks, Law and Order, The Handmaid's Tale, and she does voices for American Dad. Um, so yeah, this is a, ooh, this is a tough watch, but we're going to go around the table and we're all going to get into that. So Tegan, why don't you tell us what you think about this film? I love this movie, mainly just for the gore. Um, haha, shameful. Shameful of me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> how shameful. But anyways, I love the gore. I love like all the reactions because I like how they don't scream for most of the movie. Like anytime something um, terrifying happens, they do scream sometimes, but most of it, they just stand there in horror. And I feel like that makes it just even more creepy. Yeah. Like with certain scenes, they just to sit there and like that just makes it worse because their brain like cannot handle what's going on it's also a really nice um ghost movie at first mm-hmm. um it's just it's so freaking creepy i love it <laughs> so much it's is, is it weird to say that it's kind of a comfort movie <laughs> <laughs> i mean to be fair i definitely have some really screwed up flicks in my comfort movie catalog so now nah, that that works you got it right up there with the owl house you know on disney xd for children (laughs) i i feel like there's uh, comfort movies are one of those things where it doesn't matter the genre it's it's all about like what where we were when we saw it like what kind of state of mind you were in you know what where you were in your life like some movies just hold a special place and they can be twisted (laughs) so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love RoboCop, and while that's a really great, like, satire on, like, you know, corporate America and the police state, but it's also a movie where, like, a dude gets shot so many times his arm falls off, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. And you saw that when you were, like, nine? <laughs> yep. I, I saw that one in the theater. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, I, must I saw have been, it when I was, I like, must have been eight. Yeah. I saw it when I was, like, 13, and I just looked over at my dad and was like, you saw this when you were nine? <laughs> I think, wait, that came out in '87, right? Yeah, no, I would have, I would have been seven or eight, and I, I yeah, know yeah. for a fact we, we watched it on VHS because I still remember, and I've mentioned this on other podcast episodes where, like, my parents would, if we rented an R-rated movie, but my brother and I really wanted to see it, they would make us wait till the next day so they would watch it at night, and then since we were latchkey kids, we would come home from school and my mom would still be at work. So she would leave a note saying if it was okay to watch or not. Um, and so I remember just getting so excited, but that night when we rented it, I was so excited. I couldn't sleep. So I remember getting out of bed and trying to like stare down the hallway and like, just catch the edge of the TV. And, you know, my, and then hearing my mom yell, Josh. And it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> there's nothing more terrifying as a kid than hearing that parental yell when you're not expecting it. Like, oh, God, trust me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you with RoboCop. I actually, yeah, like I said, I saw it in the theater, so I was seven. Good God. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, I always tease my parents about this because I'm like, you guys wouldn't let me watch certain movies, but the ones you did let me watch, <laughs> like, it's kind of crazy. 
Yeah, for sure. And my mom had this, you know, she didn't really care about violence, but she had these weird rules about like, oh, fast forward through like that brief topless scene or like there's yep. a sex scene, you know. Um, but then at the same time, that was so inconsistent because there were so many movies that I had that had like sexy stuff in them. But if it was like a comedy, then it was like, OK, you know, it mm-hmm. was like just, it was just so inconsistent. Like I, I, I still to this day remember being so embarrassed when watching cocktail tom cruise's cocktail on vhs at my cousin's house and my mom making me leave the room but like my older brother who's only two years older and my three or four year older cousin they were allowed to stay during the the sex scene um Mm -hmm. and i'm just like well why do i have to leave the room like this is embarrassing but then at the same at the same time i had like so many like raunchy you know 80s comedies like meatballs and porkies and revenge of the nerds (laughs) and all that stuff on tape at home and i'm like i could just watch worse stuff than this you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) doesn't make any sense it really doesn't but But, uh Josh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I like this movie. I think it's great. I don't have the same like personal connection to it that Tegan does. You know, I have my own movies that fit that category. You know, not just Robocop, but like horror movies as well, where it's like a comfort movie for me or the kind of thing I just love to put on in the background like whenever, uh, because you know, it imprinted in a in a certain way. But I just think that this is a really extremely well made movie. And I, I did watch Midsummer and I liked it. I didn't love it. I thought it was okay. I thought it went uh, it's probably just too long, honestly. I think it yeah. kind of Midsummer kind of lost some steam, and it had these like really shocking moments that I think just took a little bit too long to get to. But I don't think that Ari Aster mm-hmm. makes the mistake with this movie. It is kind of long, but I feel like everything that's happening is moving the story along, and I I think that he really does a great job of balancing the you know is it a supernatural movie or is it just family like psychosis is tony collette's character like is she genuinely crazy or is there really like some kind of a haunting going on like i I really think that they do a good job of giving you answers to those questions while keeping you guessing through you know 90 percent of the movie probably you know before you really get to a point where you feel like okay like i i get it like they just told us outright at the end you know and uh oh yeah but I like that. You know, I, I don't think that you it's always a good idea to, you know, leaving people guessing is nice. But sometimes it's nice to just have somebody come out and tell you this is the answer. Like, you don't have to go and make a YouTube video about, you know, 10 theories about hereditary. Like, <laughs> no, like this is what it is. It's, you know, it's it's the, you know, the the God of greed or whatever payment like that's the answer, you know, and and yet at the same time, Keegan and I have seen it several times together and every time we watch it. It's we noticed things we never saw before, you know, or oh yeah, ba- background details or foreshadowing, and so I just think it's an incredibly like well crafted movie. Yeah, we um, saw three new things in this rewatch, and I've seen this movie like ten times, but this is the first time I saw it on our new TV where I can now actually see it because mm-hmm. I'm a blind bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I have worse vision than my grandmother, and she's almost seventy. <laughs> And we did get a nice big new TV uh, for the upstairs because nobody would ever watch TV upstairs, even though we had all the video games and stuff up there because the the room is like long. So where the TV was on the – even though it's a big TV, it was like if you sat on the couch, it was a tiny TV, you know. So yeah. we, yeah, we, we kind of we – I've literally been – Christine and I have actually been 
uh, keeping an eye out for like good shit on sale, like for like over a year now, because I'm like, I'm not going to spend crazy amount of money when there's a big TV downstairs. Damn it. Just go down there and watch it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So when we finally found something that was like too good to pass up, you know, we bit the bullet and got one for upstairs. And it's like, well, now I like the one upstairs better. It's like newer and crispier. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've been keeping an eye out on new TVs because we haven't replaced one in about 10 years. So oh, yeah, it's, it's about time to get a new one. Yeah, um, but our old one, we had it since I was like four years old. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's that's, ancient. I say ours we, was even older than yours was. <laughs> yeah, I would say we, we got yeah, we got ours when when my son was only a year old. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it's time. He's going to be 12 this year. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, uh, th- this film, I-, I have to agree with both of you. Like, this is one of those movies, the first time I watched it, I, I was left questioning the entire time because I knew nothing about it. I went in totally blind. I saw one trailer and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go see that. And this was back when I had a lot more free time to go see movies. Um, like, I wasn't working as many hours. And I would try to go see a new movie, like, at least a couple times a month. And uh, I, it was me, Maurice, and my friend Tara that went to go see it. And um, I immediately from the name of the film, you know, Hereditary and from seeing what uh, Tony Collette's character Annie was going through in the movie, most of the film, I was thinking that a lot of it was in her head, that a lot of it like was it was about her psychosis, like that she was breaking down mentally. Um, I don't and know. I, she lost most of her family in her life. Oh, exactly. But th- there was also she mentions during the during the movie that how her grandmother or how her mother uh, you know, had issues and then how her father, you know, died of, um, what was it? Psychotic depression. Cause he starved yeah. himself, you know, that her brother had, you know, multiple personality disorder and hung himself and blamed their mother saying, you put, you put people inside of me. So it was like, Oh, something's wrong with this family. So like right off the bat, I was thinking like, it's, it's a movie about mental illness, um, but then the last 40 minutes or so, they start heavily hinting <laughs> at, yeah. like, other things. And I'm like, wait a second. This isn't all in her head. Oh, God. <laughs> like, and it's, They really pulled the rug out of uh, out from under your feet with this one. Like, haha, you thought. Exactly. And, and but the thing I love about it is there's it still deals with mental illness. And, and like, it's still I mean, yeah, it gives a reason for that mental illness within this family. Like it, it tells you why that happened, but it definitely plays with it. And like the, the grieving family aspects, who that is, mm-hmm. that is a gut punch. And Peter, Peter, Peter's acting is so good that I genuinely thought this poor kid was being traumatized in real life while watching this. Like the way he like right? cried, and like the way he like cried and then like went onto his dad's shoulder or like when he was like, this is a teenager. All right. Yeah. Trust mm-hmm. me, I know from personal experience, calling your mom, uh, like mommy, when you mm-hmm. don't, when you haven't done that your entire life, you just instead of with like when you just call her mom on the regular, that means you are terrified. Exactly. Okay? When he was in the attic, like telling, going, mommy, mommy, please stop, I'm sorry, and like he was like drooling because he was so scared. I mm-hmm. felt genuinely bad with this poor child. Like I'm so sorry. Do you want a hug? Right, and that. And that's the thing, his every performance in this movie is top tier. Like it it is holy crap. It is like it, it's mind numbing that these people did not get more accolades for their performances. For real. Um particularly, yeah, Alex Wolf, uh um Gabriel Byrne and Tony Collette, like because all three of them have insanely 
powerful moments and their performances. Um, with Tony Collette, the one that that really got me was right after Charlie died. Oh my god! And yeah. Holy hell! Like first of all, like the way they they show that sequence, like where Peter is laying in bed, and you hear, uh, you know, um, Annie and Stephen talking, and she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna run to the store for some more balsa wood. I'll be back in 20 minutes." And he's just sitting there watching, and you hear the the her go outside. You hear the car door open and Peter grips his pillow tighter, like because he knows what's about to happen. And you just hear her start shrieking. Well, and there first it's like the what? What? And then she yeah, the 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 the, the guttural shriek. And it's like, oh my god. Like I had to pause the movie. Like mm-hmm. it it hit me in the gut. Like it made me tear up. I think um, the fact that this movie is really good for me is because I'm around the same age as Peter in the movie. Mm-hmm. So like I could put myself in his shoes, and while I've never experienced anything like what he's going through, it's interesting to put myself in that situation. Also, it does not help the fact that Tony Collette looks almost looks a lot like my aunt. Oh, got Kelly? Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Kelly. Yeah, no, I can see. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I can that see that. It's so much worse for me to watch, but I still love it at the same time. Oh man, yeah, that's gotta be yeah. disturbing because I can definitely see that. Holy crap! Yeah. But, except, 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 made the Tegan made the mistake of pointing this out to uh, Kelly, you know, Aunt Kelly, uh, at uh, over, over the holiday break this past year. Except when trying to uh, describe the actress to Kelly, saying, "Oh yeah, you know the woman from this movie, that movie," and Kelly w- wasn't picturing Tony Collette, so Tegan T- brings up a picture on their phone of Tony Collette from this movie. When I she, know her name. When she's like screaming and crying, and her face is swollen with like you know no makeup and unkempt hair, and Kelly just looked at her like, "What the hell, Tegan?" You know, like you think I look like this corpse, and it's like, "No, no, Tony, Tony Collette is a gorgeous woman," but like she, I didn't know her name. Well, that, 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 but that's the testament too to to like the transformation that Tony Collette goes through as an actress is that, you know, yeah. she, she goes balls out. Like, man, mm-hmm. she does not let, doesn't hold anything back. This is a completely unhinged, you know, experience of like every imaginable emotion from, you know, uh, mania to anger to grief. To, it, it's, it's wild. It's really wild. It And the, the, the scene in particular that just, like I, I couldn't stop it. I started crying. Like I couldn't help myself is when she's like on the floor, like rocking back and forth. And Peter is, or I'm sorry, uh, Steven is holding her just trying to be there for her. And she's screaming. I want to die. I want to die. It's too much. I was like, Oh God. Like it. And then you just see poor Peter standing in the hallway, like hearing his mother go through this horrible pain and knowing he's the reason for it. For you guys, you put yourselves in Annie's shoes because you're both parents. For me, in that situation, I put myself in Peter's shoes. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I kept putting my, myself in Steven's shoes. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. like, my God, like, there, there is a scene with him. Whew, it, it's, it's tough to watch. It, it's after he picks up Peter from school. Oh, when, God, and, I know what and, you're talking about. I yeah. felt so bad for him, this entire oh. movie. Well, because, like, he's keeping it together. Like, he, the mm-hmm. whole time he's, like, he can see his wife is going through something. before, Even before Charlie dies. Like, he can see that. And he's trying to keep it, it hidden from her, like, that her mother's grave was desecrated. He's, like, let me, you know, let me kind of keep this. He's, like, oh, yeah, the cemetery called about some billing 
situation. Like, so he kind of keeps that hidden from me. He's trying to protect his family. You know, there's all these sequences, like when stuff starts going bad, where he's trying to keep it together. Like, even though all this horrible shit's happening around him, he's trying to be the responsible adult, take care of his family, do what has to be done. And he's watching slowly. Like he lost, you know, his, his, he loses his daughter. You know, he's, his wife is pushing him away further and further and further. There's that scene where they're in bed and he goes to put his hand on her shoulder just to comfort her. And she like slinks away from him. And like, yeah, also, oh, oh, sorry. Pain- oh, I'm just gonna say it's so painful to watch. Uh, but yeah, the scene in the car where, where he picks up Peter and he almost runs the red light and then he, you know, he slams his brakes and he stops and he just breaks down mm-hmm. and he starts crying. Like I had, again, I had to pause the movie cause I started crying. I was like, I, I can't, I can't deal with this. <laughs> it's too much. I've, I've seen something like that happen with one of my guy friends. We were at lunch and there wasn't really anybody out that day cause it was, it was cold, but me and him liked the cold. So we were out there and, and it was just us. And he was telling me about something that happened in his family. It was, it was a year. I was, it was like last year. So I don't really remember. Um, but he was telling me about something that happened in his family, and I could see, like, his lip quivering, and then he just kind of broke down, and it was really mm-hmm. sad to watch. Because I know, because I'm, like, whenever someone's hurting, I want to give them, like, physical, like, affection or, like, touch. You yeah. know, I, like, I want to, like, hold them in, like, a hug and be like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But, like, he doesn't like touch. He doesn't like his back being touched, so I didn't know what to do. I just yep. kind of sat there and watched, because I, what was I supposed to do? No, that that is a, that's a very difficult situation to be in because I I am I'm the same way. I'm a hugger. Like I'm the type yeah. of person I hug my friends, I hug my family, all that. But I also have friends that don't like physical touch, so I have to remember like don't hug them. Um, but I've been in that situation where I've had deep conversations with certain friends. I'm not going to name names. Um, that you know we're going through some tough stuff, and it's like I can't hug them. Don't put your arm on them. Like. What, what do I do? How do I comfort them? And it's just like just sitting there listening, trying my best to like just, you know, be be a be a loving ear, you know, let 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 them vent. Yeah. And seeing my guy friends tough. like, yeah, seeing my guy friends like break down hurts more than seeing some of my other friends do that because I know that they have to keep everything in. Well, Especially yeah, I mean, where we live, too. Well, and that's and that's that's actually a really good point. And, and this is something totally off the topic of the movie, but kind of deals with the movie a little bit that, you know, societally, there's there's a lot of pressure for men not to show those type of emotions, which is bullcrap. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Every that's, human being should be allowed. Yeah, you, you should be allowed to show emotion. And and I mean, again, I, I'm sure, Josh, I'm sure you you remember growing up in the 80s, like there was a lot of if you if you cried, there was all the, that pressure of like, ah, man up, stop it. Don't do that. Emotions are for pussies. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So there, there was a lot of that growing up and I'm, I'm glad that, 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 you know, things are changing societally, but you know, there's still that stigma. It still exists. So it's, it's very hard for, for people to open up like that. So yes, like to, to your point, when you were saying when watching Peter break down in the movie, it is jarring. It is hard to see because it's not something we normally see. And he just like grabbed onto his dad too, and just like started yep. sobbing. Mm-hmm. And again, as as a dad, whoo, that hit me hard. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. This is this is very off topic, but I just want to try and like raise the mood a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I my uh, my pet snake, uh, Crowley. His cage is right across from me. He's like 
he smushed himself completely against the glass, and it looks really funny looking. <laughs> <laughs> like he looks like he looks like a shoelace that got a bit too tangled. Snake smush. Snake Spicy smush. noodles. Spicy noodle. <laughs> Danger noodle. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I, you know, I'm I'm hoping that people listening to this. Uh, that you've actually watched the film or at least know about the film, because we're all over the place on this one, mm-hmm. as is going to be the new format. So just a little reminder to folks. Um, but I will put a little warning on the social media, like, hey, you might want to watch this before listening. Um, but for anyone who hasn't seen this, just kind of like a quick recap. Um, the movie surrounds a, a family that is dealing with the loss of their, well, of, of the grandmother, so of Annie's mother. And it becomes very apparent throughout the film that the mother was part of a cult um, that they worshipped the the demon payment. uh, Is it it's payment, right? My Santa, right? Yeah, I was read it as Payamon, but it's definitely say it is payment. I I feel like Payamon is scarier to say, though. Yeah, well, it depends on who was saying it to. They they definitely use the long A, but it was either payment or Paymon. Even yeah, though, yeah, it looks it looks like it should be pronounced like Paimon or Paimon, but whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so they're they're basically uh the, there's there's this long setup of they've been worshiping this demon and trying to get him into a host body. Um and there's hints all throughout the film. So like you have the fact that uh what was her name? Ellen was the grandmother. Yeah, so Ellen's family, you have her husband dies of by by committing suicide by starvation her son commits suicide um saying that she like i said earlier put that his mom put people inside of him which hints at they were trying to make him the vessel for payment um and then there's a lot of hints that she did whatever she could to put the demon into charlie and did in fact succeed by putting the demon into Charlie when Charlie was first born. Now there's a lot of hints throughout the movie of like the weird subtle crap that's going on behind the scenes. Um, one of them is the teeth. Now I don't know if you guys noticed this, but th- this is something that I noticed on this watch, but there's three different sequences with tea leaves. Do you guys notice this? Yeah. She like pulled like a, like a black thing out of her mouth on her finger and then like yep. flicked it away. Exactly. That was like the only scene that I remembered with the tea. There's at the funeral, one of the, the people at the funeral wipes a thing across uh, Alan's lips and it looks like black, like little black pieces of, of plant matter. Oh, so, I thought that she was like touching up her makeup. Like she, cause like they're at a funeral, you know, there's there, it's, it's like a blink and you miss it moment where, cause I was like, what is she doing to her lips? And there's like a little bit of black on her lips. Mm-hmm. Um, then you see the scene with Tony Collette, like you said, where she's drinking the tea at Joan's house and she pulls something out of her mouth and flicks it. Now, I looked it up after this because I'm like, what is up with the tea? And I didn't see the third the third part. Apparently in the picture where we see Ellen feeding Charlie, we see a thing of tea sitting right next to her. So they're mm-hmm. they're hinting at that, that there was something there, like maybe she was, you know, that th- this is this is dealing with payment like. I don't know if it's like a ritualistic drink or something, uh, but there's a lot of things like that. There's the symbol of payment everywhere. Like Ellen's wearing it. Annie's wearing it. We see it on the telephone pole. Steven's uh, um, little um, welcome mat. Yep, exactly. Like we see it again and again and again throughout the movie. Um, there's so many things like uh, uh, what's her name? Charlie's Charlie's little toys, all the little toys she's making. They're all headless. 
So like mm. all of the little dolls yeah. she has on her desk, none of them have a head except the one that she puts the pigeon head onto. And the one with the pigeon head has a crown. And even the mm-hmm. drawing of the pigeon has a crown. So that represented payment. And in order for her, or in order for payment to get out, she had to lose her head. So just like the pigeon, just, like, you know, there's all this yep. symbolism throughout the film. So it's like on multiple watches, you start to pick up all of the little things, you know, the, just the, even the shapes. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like, th- this is one of those things that kind of really clicked with me in the one hallway with uh, where you see the parents' bedroom and Peter's bedroom. There's squares everywhere. There's squares on the wall. Everything is very square shaped. Then mm-hmm. you go over to where grandma's bedroom was and Charlie's bedroom. Now we see the black triangle under grandma's bed, but everything is in sharp angles in that scene. And we even see like Charlie's room comes to a point like a big triangle. Oh. And we also see in the, in the tree house, everything comes to a point like a big triangle. So they're definitely play. I don't know what the symbology or the symbolism is there. Maybe, maybe the father, son, Holy ghost, like the reflecting of an evil Trinity type of thing. Not sure. But the fact that there's the three points and then the four points and there's four members of the family. So, you know, maybe the square represents the family that was and the triangle represents the evil that was coming. I don't know. But there's a lot of that in this movie. Yeah. Something I did notice and I pointed out to dad when Peter's like looking at Charlie's treehouse in that one scene and the heater is on, you can Mm -hmm. see two little red pinpricks in his Mm -hmm. irises. That's like a, I realized that's like a hint to the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing. like, that's so perfect. There's also a bunch of stuff with the eyes. Like, we have the drawings of, of Peter where his eyes are X'd out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the picture of Peter with the eyes cut out. And again, I mean, I'm sure that the symbolism there is, you know, the whole eye being the window to the soul and the fact that his soul must leave so Payman can, you know, take over the body. I'm and sure all the that scenes, and he stares that. at the camera like a lot, especially after the car scene, you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? He just kind of stares at the camera and like breathes heavily. And yeah. that, scene, that scene hit hard. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Because like, like it, I've seen my friends have little, have like little breakdowns, you know? Mm-hmm. School's tough, man, if you can't tell from what I'm telling you already. <laughs> um, and like they've had those same eyes, you know? Not as bad as Peter. But, like, on the same, like, spectrum. You know, I also... Oh, I'm sorry, Josh, go ahead. I'm sorry, I know you keep trying to talk, too. I was just going to say, you know, Tegan mentioned yesterday, too, that um, uh, in all of the photographs of Ellen, uh, you know, Annie's mother, Mm -hmm. maybe not every single one, but in a lot of them... Her eyes look black in yeah. all the photos. Yeah. It's like you can't ever seem to see her 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 irises. Even when she's like looking at the camera, it's like you you know, it's like, yeah, the lighting wasn't good or it's an old photo or something, but it just never seemed coincidental that like you never really saw the grandma's eyes. Even when she like pops up in Annie's workroom, you don't see her eyes. Yeah. And I'm speaking and- of that scene, that scene is scary. Like you could tell that w- that she was really afraid because she didn't scream. She just whimpered and said, mom, really quietly. Mm-hmm. That's that's another thing that the I'm sure none of this is coincidental. I'm sure Ari Aster had this all planned because mm-hmm. he, he seems like the type of director 
to be like very Stanley Kubrick. Like everything has a meaning, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know what literally just occurred to me? And as I said, talking about the black eyes, because in my head, you know, <laughs> my ADHD brain can't help but quote Jaws with like, you know, black eyes, like a doll's eyes, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and then I'm like, wait a second, you know, Annie was a, a miniature artist, right? Like mm-hmm. that's her job. So she's creating all of these like models, but then for fun, she starts creating these dollhouse dioramas, almost like a way to process her, her feelings. Right. Yeah. You know, she, she made one of, she made one of Charlie's death scene. Yeah. And, oh. and, and, and I think it's interesting too, that Charlie was making toys, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. or making miniatures or too. It's like Charlie was making these figures, but then so was Annie also making these figures like, you know, like these little dolls of people. And then, uh, I don't know. I, I I'm kind of getting this vibe of like, you know, uh, they're all just pawns and like, you know, payments, uh, master plan. And, you know, they're all just, you know, toys to, or chess pieces to like move around on a board, but yeah, oh. definitely interesting symbolism. hundred, hundred percent. And I, and, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% sure that that is exactly what they were doing with that. Cause you see, um, what, what, uh, Charlie is making, like I said, like she's making the little headless dolls and it almost like mirrors what is going to happen to her. And like, there's that whole sequence at the end um, where we see Joan's apartment and we see the the ritual, like, uh, like you know, we see the candles, we see the symbol of payment. And then on the table, we see the, the carved triangle into the table with the eyeless mm-hmm. photo of Peter. But then we see Charlie's stuff and we see the pigeon doll stand, standing there and there's three corpses or three other dolls like down on their hands and knees with no head. And that like kind of mirrors the final sequence of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also where uh, Annie had talked about how her mother would never let her feed Charlie and was saying like, you know, Oh, it used to infuriate me. She wouldn't even let me, you know, feed my own child. And then in the dollhouse, we see the little Annie doll holding the baby Charlie doll. And then the Ellen doll standing there with her breast out, like ready to breastfeed the child. So like she even set that up in the dollhouse. So a lot of the stuff was mirroring either things that happened or things that will happen uh, throughout the film. And it's something that I, I really, really enjoyed about this with the, the miniatures, but also just a side note, I'm super jealous of that job. Cause my God, that would be so much fun to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be a miniature artist. <laughs> like, you get to sculpt and paint all day in your own house oh, and vibe. I would love that. I use, I missed being able to do custom toys. Like I was, I used to be able to, uh, make quite a good uh, amount of money on that before Funko came along and made it too cheap. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> and he had that uh, wrist brace on. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I'm already rocking that when I'm drawn. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like it's, I, I love the miniature work in this movie, but yeah, the, um, the, the symbolism of like what we see with the miniatures and what actually happened is really, really cool. Um, another thing that I really enjoy about this film that, freaks me out a little bit is the use of shadow because mm, yeah. it's so masterfully done where there's scenes where there isn't anything in the shadows, but they, they set up things to look like something might be like when Peter wakes up and we see the two chairs, like we hear the, the tongue click, which we got to talk about that in a minute, but we oh, hear yeah. the little, and then, you know, he looks over and he sees the two chairs and for a moment, it looks like someone's there. But once they kind of focus in, we just see that it's, you know, two hoodies sitting on a chair. But then there's a ton of scenes where there is somebody there, like the scene with grandma in in the studio 
or the scene with Charlie in Peter's bedroom, or most horrifyingly, the scene at the end of the movie when Peter wakes up and you see, if you're looking in the upper left-hand corner of the screen, you mm-hmm. see Annie just clinging to the wall like a fucking spider. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no, then, sir. And then right <laughs> after that, like, when the, the camera angle changes, like, she fucking runs out of that corner of the room at, like, full speed. And you're like, fuck, like, where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. The first time I saw it in the theater, I didn't see her up in the corner. I just saw, like, when they shifted camera angles and she, like, scurried out of the room on the mm-hmm. wall. And I was like, oh, that's creepy. Then, you know, fast forward when I first got it on DVD and I watched it for the second time. And then I saw that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, no. Like, yeah. The chair of the laundry. Classic nightmare fuel since time, since chairs were invented. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Well, you know, and we got that new TV recently, too. So watching it upstairs, I actually noticed things that I hadn't noticed before. And it's not like my other TV is like crap. Like it's a it's a big TV and it's good you know, TV. It's it's, it's, a, it's good quality, but this uh, this new one is so crisp that um, we I noticed a lot more with the light and shadows in this watch through. You know, there's several sequences where there's this like uh, light beam or wave that flows over the characters that mm-hmm. yep. You know, I, I take to represent that this is like that's Payman's spirit who is coming to possess or leave or tempt. Uh, it, it, at least it seems to line up with the characters who seem to be possessed. Uh, and then there's also sequence in the same sequences. There are shadows that seem to move before the light shows up. Yeah. And, like when Peter and, dies, you see a shadow like move away from him, which I always assumed was like his soul yep. leaving. And then you see Payman like go in. It's it's like a mockery almost. Your soul is usually seen as like something light and holy, right? But in this scene, it's dark and creepy, and something. And the thing that is evil and unholy is seen. It is is a light, a literal ethereal light that possesses them. Yep. Now that that light thing, there there are two sequences with the the light that I find incredibly eerie. Um, there's the scene with Charlie. Where, you know, she's sitting there making the little dolls and make, you know, you know, clicking her tongue and all that. And we see the light kind of go around the room and she watches it and it goes out the window. And then she slowly follows it out into the field. And we see what looks like her grandmother sitting in front of fire out in the field. Like, like that's burning in hell. Yeah. Like that sequence is really friggin' creepy. But the one that really gets me is when Peter is in school after um, kind of being creeped out by Joan where she's like, I expel you. And like yelling at him from across the street. We see him walking through the halls of the school and the light goes around him and then pinpoints at a door at the end of the hall. And again, blink and you miss it. You see the teacher on the other side of the glass in that room, smiling at Peter and waving him forward. Oh. That is freaking creepy. Oh shit. <laughs> and it, I want to talk about Peter a lot because, like I said, I relate to him. Mm. But, like, this poor boy is being, like, mentally tortured. Like, the two scenes where he's in the classroom and, like, he just looks over and sees his own reflection, like, smiling at him evilly. I would have lost it right then and there. And, like, you can see him losing it. Like, the beginning of the movie, he's all clean, right? And then near the end of the movie, his hair is, like, greasy and, like, in long thick curls instead of up and like up on top of his head like it was at the beginning mm-hmm. like you can tell he's like slowly like descending into like a mental breakdown the other scene where he gets partially quote-unquote possessed oh where mm-hmm. where he, he crashes his face yeah and then he just starts screaming mm-hmm. like 
Um, I don't blame him at all. Like, I would probably be one of the other students in the classroom just kind of staring at him while he's screaming. I'll see, I would have been that like, guy that would child, run out. <laughs> this poor child is just being, like, mentally tortured, and I feel so bad for him. Because, like, he, did, that... he didn't do anything wrong. He just existed, and his mom, like, is an asshole towards him for no reason. And, like, I know she's trying to make up for it, but, like, the trauma's still there. You can't get rid of that so easily. She tried to set him on fire while she was asleep, like... And see, okay, yeah, I want I, I want to talk about that, but real quick, I was just gonna say, if I were one of the kids in that classroom, I would have been booking it out of there. But at the moment he started screaming, I would be like, "I'm out!" I want to. Yeah, run. I don't blame you. <laughs> but yeah, that sequence where he holds his hand up and it's like twisted to the side, and then like his face is like it almost looks like he had a stroke. Like his one it side does. of his face is all twisted, his eye is bloodshot, and then he just slams his face into this. That's one of those scenes when I saw it in the theater, I, I jumped. Like, it it freaked me the fuck out. And it mm-hmm. still does. Like, I find it incredibly creepy. But the mom thing you mentioned, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, here's here's something I never considered until this watch. Because, um, again, I never really watched it critically. Uh, this viewing, I was really paying attention to, like, the ins and outs of what they were saying, what was going on in the background, all that. And Tony Collette's character talks about her sleepwalking. First of all, she talks about her family at the first grief counseling uh, meeting we see her go to, where she kind of delves into all of this shit happened when she was a baby. So, like, her father died when she was a baby. When she was a little girl, her brother died, you know, and blamed their mother. Their mother was distant from her. She was always, she always felt estranged from her mother. And she talks about a few times, like, her mother would never apologize for anything. You know, her mother would never feel guilty for anything. And just there was, so you could tell there was this resentment toward her mother. Um, and then like, even after her mother died, she was like, she makes the comment of, you know, I, I don't feel bad. And then, you know, her husband is like, well, you should feel however you feel. And she felt, she felt bad that she didn't feel bad. Like it wasn't that she was upset about her, the passing of her mother. She was upset with herself for not feeling bad. So you yeah. could tell there was definitely this pain with, with her family. But when she goes into the sleepwalking, she talks about how she almost killed her children. But yeah. then that mirrors with the second scene where she's dreaming about going into Peter's room, following the ants in there. And he's screaming to her like, you know, you tried to kill me. And she was like, I tried to save you. So now let's examine this for a minute. We take Hereditary, the name of the film, you know, so the idea of something being passed down through a bloodline. Mm-hmm. Was she being controlled by the payment cult? And was her sleepwalking that little part of her conscious mind that was trying to break the cycle? Was she trying to, because she even talks about how she tried to, she tried to miscarry. She didn't want to have a kid. And then she kept her, her mother away from her son. And she talks about how her mom forced her to have a kid too. She didn't even want one. Exactly. So I'm sitting here going, wait a second. She, like she, like you said, Josh, they're pawns. She was not in control of her own life from jump. Her freaking mom was pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. And when she was sleepwalking and tried to murder her kids, she was trying to prevent this demon from coming into the world. And I don't yeah. blame her. And this is what I meant by her being psychologically tortured by ants. Yeah. <laughs> like she literally walks in and see ants covering Peter, like head to yeah. toe. And, and like we- they concentrate around his eyes. Can we also talk for a moment about like how she how calm she is when she wakes up and finds ants all over her bed? 
and she just kind of like gets up. Hell no. If I woke up and found ants all over me, I would be flying out of that bed. I would be kicking the covers off me like, what the hell? She just left right. her husband there like, eh, they'll get to you. Just becomes <laughs> yeah. super, just becomes God and ascends out of the bed like, nope. Oh, uh-uh. hell no. If I, oh. I, they were big ants too. Like they were probably the size of my pinky nail. And I mean, it's the thing. It's not like ants freak me out, but the idea of waking up and having creepy crawlies crawling on my bed, mm-mm. Don't yeah, like it. No thanks, no thanks. I picked I don't a freaking. Like one I, let alone I picked a freaking up. like. I pick up freaking June bugs and like lizards and literal snakes and li- like literal snakes and pill bugs and anything I could find as a kid on the mm-hmm. ground. And even that freaks me the hell out. <laughs> right. It's like, it's the thing. Like when I was a kid, I was the same way. I was always out there capturing all sorts of crickets and grasshoppers and praying mantises and whatnot. But but yeah, having them crawl all over my bed. Nope. Mm-mm. Do not want. Nope. But yeah, that that whole, uh, you know, wondering if Annie was ever in control of her own life really got to me on this viewing because I I, ne- I didn't pick up on it the first two times I watched it. And and watching it this time, it was like, Jesus, this is this is screwed up. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's really messed up. Like, and how evil was her mother? Like, good Lord. Like, yeah. you just sacrificed everyone around you. What for riches? Like. And you didn't even get to experience it because, you, you know, you died. <laughs> but Yeah, I, I kind of questioned that, too. I questioned it, but I was wondering this last watching of what exactly was Ellen's plan? I mean, she clearly seemed to be, if not the head of the payment cult, but at least, you know, one of them. Yeah, there's and, literally a picture of her that says, like, queen something something. I couldn't yeah, read it. Like, she was the queen and payment was the king. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 like... She spent obviously a long time. She had this whole cult that maybe she built or she was a part of for a long time, all the way back to, you know, when Annie was born, as, as at least, if not, you know, sooner than that. And I wonder, like, what her long-term goal was. If it was just to get payment, like a body to inhabit, to come physically to the earth, why didn't she use her own son? They said that, you know, Annie's brother what you know starved to death like you know what happened there like i think she oh, tried no, no, no. i think yeah, she no, tried. bring it wrong yeah i think she did try because it was her husband that starved to death and her son is the one that said you know he died of multiple he had multiple personality disorder okay yeah. um and and he he put in his suicide note that uh you know he he killed himself because his mother put other people inside of him so i think okay, she yeah, was trying right. to put pain right. inside of him yeah so then but, when she ran out of male uh, p- members of her family, she had to wait for her child to have children mm-hmm. so that she could do it again. And, and I think what ended up happening there was because Annie was able to keep uh, Peter hidden from her. But she ended up, however, weaseling back into her life when she had Charlie. And it's it says in the in the one book that we see later in the movie where um, they're reading where uh, Annie's reading about payment. It says that the he must uh, possess the youngest body. So basically he has and have to have a male to have it be well, male. Too. Well, that's, that's the thing. It says he prefers to be in a male body and gets very angry. In fact, I wrote it down somewhere, but it, it talks about how, um, yeah, he gets angry because he is, he is a, a male. And so he covets a male body, but it, it talks about how the rules are. It has to be the youngest. So the fact that Charlie was now born, that meant that, you know, he, payment had to be put into Charlie. So the way I, I took it was, and I could be wrong, but the way I took it was that 
the whole breastfeeding and the whole tea thing and all that, like somehow Ellen, the grandmother, forced Charlie's soul out of that body when she was a baby. And mm-hmm. Payman was in her that entire time. And that whole like clicking, that like thing that she would do, um, that was Payman and not Charlie. Because when Peter gets possessed, he does the same thing. Okay. Speaking of mm-hmm. Peter's possession, these are two things that I just realized. Charlie, at one scene, when Anne is, Annie is talking to her, she goes, she wanted me to be a boy. Mm-hmm. That grandma said that she wanted, she was like, grandma wanted me to be a boy. Yep. Right, and two, once Charlie dies, Peter is technically the youngest now. Exactly. And that, oh, my God. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm getting at, because, like, if you look, like, okay, there was, there, there's so many layers to this. Um, like, the fact that we find out early on that Charlie has an allergy to nuts. Um, so they, never my... carry, they never carry the EpiPen. That Thank always you. bothers me. I have Why? that commented here. Why I was don't like... you have EpiPen on you? Give Charlie the freaking EpiPen. She's at least 11. Let her use it. Or anytime you leave the house, have one yeah. on your person. Like when like they were at the funeral, Steve was like, oh, good. We don't have the EpiPen when she was eating chocolate. Why? Mm-hmm. Why don't you have the EpiPen? Yeah, My he, mom yeah. carries that everywhere in her purse because she's allergic to bees. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. That and Griffin had allergies when he was younger. Uh, we used to carry an EpiPen. He doesn't have them anymore because we went through like uh, allergy medication therapy. But yeah, we always had EpiPens and, and, and like all of Christina's like purses. We would buy them whenever they'd be on sale. So we always had like plenty to go around. Mm-hmm. And I can understand the sequence on the way to the funeral because they did mention that, you know, Annie was already in the car and Steven was still trying to wake his kids up to like get ready to go. So like maybe right. they rushed out the door, but that's a really good example of like, they could have put something in there uh, where they could have said like, Oh, I don't have the EpiPen. We, we, we left in a hurry. I forgot it, you know, something, but mm-hmm. I probably would have changed it to something more of like, you know, the EpiPen is in the car. Who knows where that's parked, you know, whatever, just make it some comment of like, yeah, we have it, but, it's we can't get to it because then later on when peter takes charlie to that party you know that annie would have been like make sure you take that EpiPen." and if he yeah. was the one who forgot it that would have just added to that drama of like this horrible night that peter has where he makes literally every bad decision imaginable through the entire night all the way from not taking the EpiPen, you know to abandoning charlie in a party full of people that she doesn't know where she's uncomfortable to like letting her eat the nuts to you know trying to impress this chick to you know not listening to charlie whatever like it was and then you know obviously he had the accident charlie dies he just goes home and like i mean i'm sure he's traumatized but still mm-hmm. he doesn't know he doesn't know how to react to it so he just mm-hmm. doesn't you know this whole string of like horrible events it would have added to the drama if he had forgotten the EpiPen. but instead at that point i think everyone had forgotten about the EpiPen. Right, why doesn't like, charlie like ask the lady about why doesn't charlie ask the lady who had the chocolate cake does this have nuts in it? Because uh, he, he was too busy. Nuts in it? He was too busy, yeah, trying to mack on that chick. But you know, Charlie. No, but could like, have why asked doesn't too. Charlie ask? Yeah, why doesn't Charlie ask? Well, like, well it's, it's like you said, you know, Tegan. They were like, "Holy shit, that's a giant pile of walnuts that they were chopping exactly. with two knives." Like, how did she not see that? <laughs> like, you know? it's, just, it's fallen off the cutting board. It was. I, I was like having like anxiety through the screen. Just like, let me come through there, and, like smush it back into a pile. At least use your hand to hold the walnuts in place. God damn. I had the same exact feeling. I'm like, no, no, stop! It's coming off the board. I don't like it. <laughs> it's unsanitary. Throw it away. 
Why have to but, put Gordon Ramsay to yell at you? I, I genuinely feel, though, that, again, these characters were not in control of their actions because we see, first of all, when Peter tries to talk to Annie about taking the car. He's like, you know, can I uh, can I borrow the car tonight for like this barbecue thing from school? Like basically trying to play it off. It's not really a party, um, you know, but he he had, he like gets the, the car from her. But she's like, is your sister going to come with you? And so they have this back and forth where, you know, he doesn't really want to bring his sister, but he kind of feels like he's being forced to bring his sister. But later on, there's yeah, even Annie, the mess. Annie was really pushy in this scene. I never understood why. Like, I even talked to my friend about this. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, why was she so pushy about it? Well, and that's and that's the thing. I I personally feel like she wasn't in control of her actions because mm-hmm. she was like, it didn't make any sense. Like, Peter even asks, like, you know, uh, Charlie didn't want to be at that party, mom. Why was she there? And, like, Annie kind of flips out because she doesn't have an answer. Yeah, she so speaking... She, yeah, so speaking of that scene, no mm-hmm. fault to dad. I deserved it whenever he did this. I was being a brat, all right? Mm-hmm. But I felt Peter in that table scene. Like, the whole, t- like, the tension, right? Mm-hmm. And then he, like, compliments, like, this is good, dad, you know? And then, mm-hmm. like, and then, like, Annie's screaming at him. Like, yeah, like, no fault to you, dad. I, I deserved it whenever this happened, right? But, like, whenever I what... felt... Huh? I'm sorry. Whatever. What happened? <laughs> oh, you know the scene where you know the scene where Annie was yelling at Peter. Oh yeah. You know, uh, no fault to you. You're doing your best. I don't. I'm not mad at you about it. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. You're telling the whole world that I'm like screaming at you at dinner. Like. No, I'm geez. not mad about it. I was being a brat. I was being a brat. I deserved it in that case. Okay. He's a good. He's a good dad. I promise. <laughs> well, but, uh, that's one of them dad things we got to do every once in a while. Yeah, like I felt, I felt, (laughs) yeah, I felt Peter there, right? Mm. I just felt for him, and then he just like kind of really, really quietly goes, "Well, what about you, mom? Aren't you responsible?" Right? Like that that look of venom on her face when he said, "Oh yeah," like Like, her eyes, her eyes look black in that scene. Yeah, no, she looks like she's like, "I'm about to not have any kids." (laughs) Like she looked like she was gonna kill him. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I, I will say in Peter's defense, like I get where Annie was coming from, mm-hmm. uh, but like pr- the whole movie up to this point, it's like she's pissed off at Peter for like no reason. Like it's like yeah. every time yeah. he's around, she's mad at him, and or I think mad at both grandma. her kids, really. You know what I mean? But it's like you would think that Peter would be the one that she would be closest with because you know she mentioned that she like never let Grandma get her hooks into Peter. You know, and the grandma basically, you know, took Charlie as her own. You would think that Annie would be closer to Peter. Like, that was, like, you know, basically her only child. But instead, she's so, like, bitter and resentful for some reason. But, yeah, and then when she makes Peter take uh, Charlie to the party, I mean, I remember even the first time I saw this before, I had any idea what what horrible thing was about to happen. Yeah. You know, I remember thinking, like, what what are you doing? Like, Charlie's, like, 13. Why are mm-hmm. you making this high school guy take his 13-year-old sister to a party where you know there's going to be drinking because you made a point and to drugs. mention it like it was a like it was you know a, a, a foregone conclusion you know she's like i know there's going to be drinking i'm asking if you're going to drink and so like why are you forcing him to take charlie into this situation it's not good for him or charlie or anyone else at the party it, honestly like that's a big parenting fail and like I, okay. i'm not going to blame it on her that charlie died because that's fucked up but at the same time charlie should have never been at that party Nope, I feel like oh. it was the grandma. Yeah. Like forcing it, like the grandma is dead, right? Remember, she was like a very like mm-hmm. spiritual cultist. 
I feel like she kind of like what was influencing the mom in those scenes, right. like making her like hate her son, like his entire life. Well, you know? I, like the see, grandma hates hates Peter because she didn't get the chance to put pay, to put Piam on her payment, whatever his name is, and in, inside of him. So I feel like she's kind of like projecting onto so, Annie, and then Annie is like projecting that onto Peter because that's like the grandma's beliefs. You know, I took that totally different. Because the way I took it uh, was that Annie resented uh, uh, Steve, or I keep saying Stephen. Annie resented Peter because, first of all, she never wanted to have a kid. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Also, keep in mind, she's not in control of her own actions. So her subconscious mind knows that Peter is supposed to be the vessel. She's tried to destroy him twice, um, yep. you know, because she tried to have a miscarriage and then she tried to set him on fire. So consciously, she doesn't know why she doesn't get along with her son. Um, but subconsciously, she doesn't want anything to do with him because she, like, again, the, the part of her mind that is still her own is rebelling against the control of Ellen and the cult. So, mm-hmm. but she's she's unsuccessful because she puts this plan into motion to send Charlie with Peter. Um, and we see, like, Peter kind of fights against it, but... Annie is very insistent on it, but has no reason to be insistent. She's very insistent still. Then when they're driving there, we see as they pass the telephone pole, the symbol of payment is carved into the telephone pole. So all of this, all of this was set in motion. And we have, like I said, there was the whole pigeon thing where the pigeon cracked into the window, died, and uh, Charlie cuts its head off and then makes the doll with the crown, which symbolizes the payment crown at the end, the whole doll with the crown. All of this was set in motion by the cult. So they were literally pawns on a chessboard, like Josh said, where all of their bad decisions, they had nothing to do with. Like the the cult was pulling the strings the entire time and setting each thing into motion because Charlie had to die for payment to come out of the body and be able to get the the male vessel that he wanted. But Peter needed to be the youngest child. And in order to do that, Charlie had to be killed. So Mm -hmm. speaking of Charlie's dying scene, Jesus Christ, her her face, Ooh. her head. I was not expecting the sudden cut to her head. Uh-huh. Her that decapitated yeah. head without her jaw. Like, her bottom jaw is, like, gone. Yep. Covered in black ants. Was not expecting that. God damn. Yep. And then That's... later in the movie, you see her head on, like, this mannequin. Her head yeah. on the mannequin with the crown on it. And I did not notice that until this rewatch. Well, I was like... Holy shit, that's Charlie's head. I just thought that was like a doll's head the entire time. And again, that mirrors the whole thing of like Charlie mm-hmm. cut off the pigeon's head, made mm-hmm. made the, the little figure with the crown on the pigeon's mm-hmm. decapitated head. And now we have the mannequin of payment with Charlie's face or head on the doll or on the mannequin with the crown on her head. So it's it, the and whole thing. And there's a bird cage with a bird in it next to her. Yep. It's oh it's so so fucking creepy but i was gonna say the scene with the head that's one of the few times that i've been in a movie theater that was a pretty packed theater and the entire audience gasped yeah because <laughs> like i bet at, yeah oh we all did like maurice me tara like we're sitting there in the whole audience when they just that hard cut to boom charlie's decapitated head we were all like oh like yeah. it's just like holy shit like I like, think that that's that's you know it's it's the closest thing to the movie gets to maybe a jump scare. I mean maybe when Annie runs out of the corner later on at you know toward the end before Peter runs up into the attic uh you know in the finale but yeah that cut was 
and it's so early in the movie that this is where the movie becomes a horror movie. You know, at, yeah. up to this point, it was this family drama. There was clearly this mental illness angle. And honestly, at, at this point, the only like tension in the movie was the fact that Annie is wound like a tight spring through the whole thing. You know, like mm -hmm. she's so anxious and, and pent up and tense. And then as soon as, as soon as you hear that thunk from the telephone pole and then later on we cut to, you know, the sequence with the head. And, of course, at this point, Annie's been screaming. It's like this is when it becomes a horror movie. And I think it kind of remains this psychologically driven, you know, horror tale where, again, you're questioning, like, what's really happening? Was that an accident? Is Annie, you know, crazy? Like, is she sleepwalking? You don't really know. And I love the fact that at a certain point, it it shifts again into that third act where it's just like no 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 this is this is a cult movie like we're just going to tell you you know mm -hmm. and i really yep. like that but they do a really good job of making you question everything even down to the culting cultist uh activity it's like who are these people like is, is charlie really seeing this you know it like yeah you know i really questioned it for a long time if charlie was even kind of all there well, and that's she doesn't look like it for most of the movie. <laughs> she looks like her eyes look so vacant. Her face too. Well, like she just, not, just she like she just doesn't look like she's there all the way. Not only that, but we we get hints like like with her the way she acts, the way she talks, like the 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 tick, the idea of that, that clicking sound that she makes, like it it's almost like they're playing with the the thought of like Charlie is clearly on the spectrum, you know. So like maybe she's autistic yeah. in some type of way, you know. There's some kind of developmental disability there um but like it, it, clearly it's not like severe it, it's it's just slight i so thought she was autistic that that's kind of and, and i i feel like that's what they were trying to make us think but i do want to comment on the whole cult activity because th th this is something that again is really freaking interesting but subtle throughout the entire film at the funeral we see the different, like I said, there was the one rubbing the leaves on grandma's lips, but there's also that one guy like in the corner watching Peter smiling. Mm -hmm, and it's creepy. like, it's. Yeah, I saw that. It was so weird. But we see that throughout the film. There's all sorts of little moments where somebody is watching, like when Peter's getting high in his room and we see somebody watching from the treehouse. Oh, yeah. um, like there's like over and over again, like the cult has been slowly cultivating this family for this event they've been putting all of their efforts into making sure their plan comes to fruition with this family so it, it's it's really disheartening to watch because it's like holy shit like they, they weren't in control of anything like they, they were just being no. toyed with um but yeah i mean there's even a scene i have to go back and and double check but i'm fairly certain one of uh peter's teachers is in that final sequence where we see the cult. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is. yeah, it's, he it's, was there. Yeah, it was the, um, I want to say it was the the teacher that's the one where he's in the room where he just jumps up and is like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And he like yes. walks out and it's like, the, I think it was a history teacher. And yeah, he was like an old dude with like a white beard. Yeah, he's kind of heavy set. Yeah, you just see him for like a second. But yeah, he's definitely late, there later on naked. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. One of them, and I can't remember if it's the white-haired teacher or the other teacher, but one of them is talking about the philosophy of free will. So It, it was the other teacher. He was like the literature teacher, like English. Okay. Because he, he was talking about um, Heracles. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's the thing. Like, it, it clicked after watching the movie where I was like, son of a bitch, they were talking about free will, like right there. And mm -hmm. Peter doesn't have free will in this scenario. Like, again, 
this is why I'm saying Ari Aster is like, you know, freaking. This is genius. He, he he's Kubrick level, like where he's mm-hmm. just like everything has. At a least meaning. he at least he didn't torture everything. his actress, you know, his actresses, you know. Yeah, one hundred twenty-seven times. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Tony Collette might have had a good time filming this, but she sure spent a whole lot of time like screaming and crying and like with like snot coming out of her nose, you know. That's like, true. <laughs> <laughs> and I but do like, think it's funny that that she flat out said like she doesn't like horror movies. Um, and the the only she's reason really good at them. Oh yeah, well that's the thing. She's only been in a handful, but like if you think about it, like Fright Night and Krampus were both dark comedy. And, you know, and she was in the she said with this one, it gave her pause like she wasn't sure that she wanted to do it because it was so intense. But she loved the script so much that she couldn't say no. But she's like, I'm not a fan of horror. (laughs) So, yeah, but man, she's good at it. Yeah. So, Peter, again, this is kind of random, but I feel like it's important. So remember when Charlie walked into his like guy's bedroom when they were all getting high and she Mm -hmm. goes, it's hard to breathe. Like, my throat's getting bigger. Yep. Immediately after the funeral, you can see Charlie and his friends underneath the bleachers at school. And he takes a hit of the weed pipe, mm-hmm. I guess. And he starts, like, coughing. And then he Called goes... A bong. <laughs> okay. I know, that, I, knew, I know what a bong is. <laughs> I'm in high school, Dad. <laughs> I wasn't Please sure. If, yeah, anyways, whatever. It's like a pipe. Anyways, he takes a hit. And he starts, like, coughing. And then he goes, like, it's hard to breathe. Like, it feels like my throat's getting bigger. This poor boy yeah. is going through some more trauma. Like, and then he starts, like, flat out crying. Like, he's, like, he's like, like, reliving that moment where he, instead of helping his sister, he was smoking weed. Exactly. And yeah. when, he, when he asks his friend to just hold his hand, mm-hmm. that, that hit yeah, me. I was that like, hurt. oh, God. That like, hurt. That's so painful yeah. to watch. I'm going to go back to, like, that when I was talking about how my, how, like, my guy friend was having a breakdown and, and like, I couldn't hug him. Mm-hmm. He, he asked me to hold his hand. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, that's the most physical affection he'll ever want from someone. And, right. like, I held his yeah. hand and he was squeezing it so hard. Like, my fingers felt like they were going to break, but I still held on. Like, damn. That hurt. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember like not only that did that hurt in real life, but it hurt in the movie to watch too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and yeah, you're right. It was. I was just messing with you. It, it is a pipe, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. No. I, I, this scene is actually. It, it made me almost uncomfortable, right? But in 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 a, it, it, in a good way because I am one of those guys, you know, from the '80s, those like '90s teenagers that you know grew up thinking like you gotta hold back them tears you know better to mm-hmm. swallow it than let it out and so like the one cop from carnival chance and meatballs where he's like it's enough to make a grown man cry but not this man and not like man. pulls the tear back in <laughs> yep. exactly and like you know and like the the rational part of my brain realizes that like this emotional expression is healthy and that's exactly what you know people need to do experience their emotions you know feel your feelings yo but yeah. they're but it's like, i can't like a help chemical... but relief whenever you cry like a hormonal relief happens yeah but i can't uh you know just immediately sort of overcome like the way that i'm wired which is you know to to sort of be stoic and appreciate the you know the strong silent type so uh you know this is sort of a a scene that makes me very uncomfortable when he's like crying in front of his friends and asking Mm -hmm. them to hold his hand and i'm like both of those things are like oh that's taboo you know in my generation but at, at the same time i think it's interesting that you know peter's family 
they don't seem to have any uh, problem showing emotion, especially Annie. Like, she shows every emotion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but even Steven and Charlie, it's like they all seem to sort of, you know, be willing to communicate with each other. And Peter opens up to his dad a little bit. But I think it's interesting that, you know, he is feeling so bad about his sister, but he can't get any comfort from his from his family because of, you know, he feels like that was his fault. So the only way that he can get anybody, you know, to offer him the comfort that he needs is to, you know, sort of force his friends to do it, you know, and right. And, and I, so I, I kind of, I interpreted this as to be a psychosomatic reaction. Like he's not really having trouble breathing. He's just, you know, or if he yeah. is, it's it, he's in, he's inducing it on himself because he's hurting and he doesn't know what to do and being around his friends, trying to have fun and yet feeling guilty about it. And, you know, yeah, he sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. again, I I think he sort of imagines it because, you know, he's subconsciously just hoping that these people around him will help him because he can't go home. Nobody at home wants to hear any of his bullshit right now, (laughs) you know, exactly. Like we haven't talked about Steve in a while. Let's give Steve some screen time. But, like, the scene where, like, Annie is, like, I need you to burn the sketchbook. And then oh. he's, like, and then he just kind of stares at her while she, like, touches his face and, like, tells about him and stuff. And then he, like, slow, and then she, like, douses it in lighter fluid and he slowly walks over to the fire and then turns around and goes, I'm done. This isn't healthy for you. I need to call the police. We need to take you to the hospital. Yep. Like, damn, man. And then he immediately gets set on fire in the next scene. Mm-hmm. Like Steve didn't deserve to die. He's, he's just he's being the, the good dad. I would say Steven is one of the more tragic characters of the movie because he's trying so hard mm-hmm. to keep his family together and he's just experiencing blow after blow after blow. It's like, you know, he was trying to be, you know, the stoic one that keeps everyone together at the funeral, like getting his kids together. You know, Annie's having, you know, she's freaking out in the car already. He's trying to keep everything together. They get home. He's still trying to keep everything together, you know, while everyone's like, I don't feel any emotion. I'm not sure how I feel, you know, and he's like asking all of them, like, are you okay? Do you want to talk? Like he's, he's doing what he has to do as a dad and a husband. And then like, we see there's those quiet moments where he's like, when shit's starting to get bad, like where he's just having a drink and just kind of sitting there quietly thinking to himself. You even see him like email his own doctor, like, hey, I think something's wrong with my family. Could you like visit us, please? And like, and like Charlie and Peter only seem to open up to him, not Annie. Yeah. I feel like he's the one that's more like more emotionally open to both of them, and they like they feel that they can be emotionally open up to him. Because even it, when Peter breaks down crying, he doesn't reach for his mom. He reach for he reaches for his dad. Yeah, and I think again that was by design because I feel like that was them saying like you know Peter or I'm sorry I keep saying that Stephen is not in control. Of the like, he's not being controlled by the cult because he's not blood connected to the family. Like he's not blood connected to Ellen. Yeah. yeah so he's the victim. He's the victim in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so I feel he's... so sorry for Steve. Like, dang man. Yeah, and it's just a nonstop blow too. If you watch the, through the whole movie, almost every scene that Stephen is in, it's because they're like. Here's the next bad thing and the next bad thing. And you get to yep. call from the call from the cemetery that the grave is dug up. And, you know, we got to pay the bill and a call from the doctor and a call from the school to pick up Peter twice, you know. And it's like, <laughs> man, this guy can't have one peaceful day without some bullshit going on. Like, no wonder he just gets fed up at the end. It's ridiculous. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then he gets set on fire. Yeah. Well, he this burns alive. 
he makes that comment to to Annie where he says he's like I have a son to think about like and that's he's basically like that's all that matters right now like because she's she's flipping out about the whole you know seance thing and all that and it's clearly not not with it anymore and he's trying to like let her know like I'm taking care of of Peter like that's what's going to happen and then of course she gets all offended because I'm his mother he's my son too blah 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 you know she does all that but it's like he's trying so hard to just keep the family safe and then there's that sequence where at the end of the movie where they get uh they get um Peter up in the bed and Annie's trying to tell him about the body in the in the attic Mm -hmm. and um you know, it's going on and on about the, the, the body in the attic. And she's like, you got to go look. You got to go look. And he's like, he doesn't believe her. He goes up. He eventually sees there is a body up there and then comes back down. And he looks at her and she's explaining the whole situation with, you know, um, the, the whole seance. And, you know, that, that she brought something into the house. And now it's after Peter and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, he, and he looks at her and he goes, it was you. You, you dug up the body. And he yeah. goes. All those nights when you were going to the movies, that's what you were doing. Like, he starts putting these pieces together that aren't right. But yeah. again, you want, like, how could he not put those pieces together? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. I mean, from a rational perspective, not taking into account any kind of weird psycho or uh, supernatural, like, cultist bullshit. Like, of course, it makes the most sense, especially the way that Annie is explaining it to him. Because she's so frantic and manic, yelling at him about curses and cults and dead bodies. And it's, and it's like, there's no way that he would ever be able to believe her because she can't calm down enough to try to be rational and he already doesn't trust her which she mentions you know but it doesn't help that uh, annie is just like you know going off like 100 miles an hour and just like sweating and yelling and you know and she's a mental patient at this point yeah also he like stopped sleeping in the bed with her he sleeps on the couch well yeah that's but did you notice like early on like he's trying still to like comfort her like he's in bed with her because she's like i'm going to bed he's like oh i'll join you and then he's laying next to her and he just puts his hand on her and she pulls away yeah and she's like he started sleeping on the couch and i just like i feel like he just didn't feel like he could do anything for her so he just slept on the couch instead well and that's the thing like i felt like at that point his his entire world was falling apart Mm -hmm. but I, I want one because I know we got to start wrapping things up, but real quick, um, one of the things with the cult, uh, we didn't we didn't really talk about this. So Joan um, introduces Annie to the idea of the seance. Now, they had to get the family to perform the seance. So first we see like the pamphlet from the cult get wedged into the mail slot with the mail. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're they're trying. They're trying to like put this information in front of Annie in any way they can, because they know they need her to do this ritual. It's very clear that the mail was already put there and that they very, and that it clearly was not the mailman putting it in there. Someone slid it in on top. And then you have this whole thing where Joan, you know, reaches out to her, shows her the seance, does the seance in front of her, and then pushes all the information on her, like gives her the pamphlet with the writing in it. She's like, it's very important that you say this exactly as it is. Every single syllable and she goes, what language is this? And she goes, that's not important. Just say every single syllable. So it's like she's forcing mm-hmm. it on her. And she goes, and make sure your entire family is there. They all have to be there. So she forces, again, the entire family into this seance, clearly summons something. And then she herself gets possessed by Charlie in, in that one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So it's like the, the cult was, again, pulling all the strings. 
right from the get go. But at the very end of the movie, like after, you know, everything happens. But let me backtrack for a second. When Tony Collette chases freaking Peter. Oh, Jesus. Holy hell, that's terrifying. Like she's banging her head upside down on the attic door. And he's just screaming at her to please stop. And like he's like apologizing. And then like next scene he looks up and she's sawing off her own head while making like direct eye contact with him. While a bunch of naked old people just stand there and (laughs) smile at him. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like I don't blame him for jumping out the window in a panic. Oh, yeah, no, I would have been like he lost it. He lost it in that second. He was like, nope. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But no, like the, the scene even before the, the banging the head thing where she just chases him like he's downstairs oh God, yeah. and we see her Ugh. rush him and like she's right on his heels the whole way up to the attic. I was like, oh, God, that's terrifying. And she's like uh, growling at him, too, too. Yep. But now so after all this happens, like after we see uh, Payman, you know, uh, take over Peter's body and he stands up and he does the tongue click thing and he sees his mom's body levitate up to the, the treehouse. And he, you know, walks over there. We see all the naked cult members smiling at him from the bushes. He goes up there. Uh, Joan says something like she has this whole sequence where she says to Peter, she says, Charlie, you're all right now. You are payment. One of the eight kings of hell. So she and, and there, there's some it's interesting. She says early on when she's talking to uh, to Annie, she says, you didn't kill Charlie. She's not gone. So it's don't. like, but that's the thing. I'm like, so I 100% convinced that Payman was inside Charlie's body from the get go. Like yeah, 100%, 100%. I don't doubt it. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, for sure. it's, oh, it's such a fucking creepy ass movie. Like, <laughs> I, I know we're kind of all over the place that this, this format will definitely kind of find its way as we do more. Yeah. More. But Anyone who hasn't seen this movie, just seriously do yourself a favor and watch it. It's a it's it's a hard film to watch. Uh, it's very emotional, especially as as I sadly learned uh, on this watching. After dealing with you know family loss, watching this movie, it hits differently because I saw mm-hmm. this movie prior to 2020, um, and then you know after 2020, my my family definitely went through some some very close losses uh, where we lost a few important people in our family um and watching this film after that it was a really tough watch i had to pause it and stop it multiple times. in fact i ended up having to watch this in three settings because i couldn't get through it because certain scenes were sitting way hitting way too close to home so just a fair warning to anyone out there like it's it's a tough watch but it's amazing and the performances are wonderfully done oh yeah 100 percent um I just want to reiterate the fact that me being able to put myself in Peter's shoes and Tony Collette looking like Kelly makes this so much more (laughs) horrifying for me, but also kind of funny at the same time, especially with the Tony Collette Kelly uh, part. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. Like, as soon as you said that, oh, oh, damn. Yeah. (laughs) watch you recommend this movie it's horrifying but it's so so good so wonderfully beautifully put together i would say if you guys had like you if you two in particular have not seen the 2011 uh fright night remake um 
first of all, it's it's not a bad movie. It, it's it's nowhere near as good as the original Fright Night, but it's it's a it's a good movie in its own right. Look at Tony Collette's character in that film. I can definitely see the resemblance to Kelly. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen. That does she eat a bag? Um, of, does she think... open the door and eat a bag of Skittles while greeting another guy? Uh, no. Those are my. I'll never let you live that down, Dad. Well, yeah, I mean, I met Kelly when she was uh, 14, and yeah, I met her at summer camp, and she was eating a bag of Skittles by herself, like a giant, like Halloween-sized bag. And then uh, a few months later, when uh, I was I was dating Christina after we worked at the summer camp that summer, and I went to Christina's uh, dad's house, and Kelly was there. And well, after her dad opened the the door and saw me standing there with like purple hair and he slammed the door in my face and then <laughs> later on when i saw um well no i'm sorry though this was at this was at christina's uh, mom's house when i went there and kelly answered the door and once again standing there with like a giant like bulk size bag of skittles eaten by the handful <laughs> by the way Dad, your mic's really and, like your mics look like really like crunchier right now yeah i was gonna say there, there's yeah. definitely some some static happening Oh, yeah, I don't know. This mic is weird. So anyway, yeah, yeah we yeah, probably whatever. should wrap it up. Uh, wrap it up anyway. But yeah, this is a great movie. Highly recommended. Uh, way better than Midsummer, which I do like. And I think if you like this, you'd probably like Midsummer. But it's not the same. This movie is its own nope. thing. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to to seeing uh, Bo is Afraid. But uh, yeah, I think this movie is uh, definitely, you know, uh, on my re- high recommend list for like psychological and supernatural horror. 100%. See, this movie is like all the things I love in one movie. I love I love psychological horror. I love supernatural slash paranormal horror, and I I love gore, Charlie's head, and um I love just like general like kind of slasher esque movies. Like it's it's great. It's all of the things I love in horror in one. <laughs> See, I raised some rights. Absolutely. <laughs> See now, as just a, a film fan, um. I, I'm I'm really blown away, per, particularly by the performances uh, of Alex Wolf, uh, Tony Collette, and Gabriel Byrne. Like, just watching actors choose scenery and like just do what they do, um, it's it's really impressive. Like that, I think that is one of my favorite things about the movie is just watching the three of them just chew the scene and uh, highly recommend. And you can put and you can put yourself in the shoes of the characters. Like if you're a teen watching it, you'll put yourself in Peter's shoes. If you're a parent, you'll probably put yourself in either in Annie or Stephen's shoes. If you lost a family member, you can put them in all three of the shoes. Like it's great. Yeah. Like it fits to all audiences. And oh, absolutely. Really nice. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is definitely a a must watch if you're a horror fan. But let, mm-hmm. let's uh get to a little bit of the trivia. I wrote a lot down, but I'm just gonna cover a, a couple of them. Um, that apparently Ari Aster wanted to make a film about suffering that took suffering seriously. And originally, this was not meant to be a horror film. He wanted to have this film about the breakdown of a family dealing with a heavy loss. And he eventually rewrote the script and rewrote the script and rewrote the script until it became this horror film. Because he said that originally Midsummer was planned to be his first horror film. But uh, after uh, redoing this several times, he's like, you know what? <laughs> let's let's make it a little creepier. Um, Want to was... add a little spice? 
Exactly. Yeah. Good call. Uh, it was only sh- it was shot in 32 days, so they made it pretty quick. Um, and then th- this I find interesting. In, in Peter's first school uh, scene at school, the words "escaping fate" is on the chalkboard with the teacher discussing it. This is a reference to Halloween 1978, where the main character discusses the same thing in class. So when Laurie Strode is talking uh, to the teacher, it's it's the same. They're discussing the same thing, which I found interesting. Um, and then I really hope this is true. I, this is probably IMDb bullshit, but man, I hope this is true. Uh, it claims that one of the trailers for Hereditary was accidentally shown at the beginning of a PG rated family friendly film, Peter oh, Rabbit. No. <laughs> so, oh no. And apparently, this happened in Western Australia. It said it caused a small panic in the theater with parents fleeing the cinema with their kids. The theater eventually shut the screen off and offered every audience member a complimentary movie pass to apologize <laughs> for the mistake. I don't know if that's, that's IMDb amazing. bullshit, but God, I hope it's true. Yeah, that sounds like a night to remember. <laughs> See, and, and I've been, I've had two different experiences at a movie theater where something really went wrong with, with you know, that they didn't plan. Uh, one was just the the sound completely cut out uh, to the to the movie that I was, I was I was actually watching Wing Commander, which God, that's an awful movie. But the sound completely cut out, and then the movie just started over, and it was like what. And then they ended up telling everyone, oh, we're sorry for the inconvenience. You know, we'll give you another ticket, blah, blah, blah. But my favorite one, by far my favorite sequel, or my favorite screw up in a theater is, have you guys seen Princess Mononoke? No. It uh, really, I had years ago, yeah. Really good anime. But there, when I, it was one of the first movies I saw, uh, Josh, I'm sure you'll remember that, the Niagara Falls Regal, when that first opened. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the first movies I saw there was me and, and uh, Mike Pushkis that went to go see it. And we're watching this movie, and there's the sequence at the end of the movie where the boars, like the whole tribe of boars, is fighting against the industrialists, and they're like blowing up the boars with cannons and and slaughtering people left and right. And like, so we're watching this this action-packed scene where like these these poor animals are being exploded with cannons. Oh, the, the sound cut out, and the sound of the music from the lobby was played over the speaker and it was our it was rem's everybody hurts so i'm watching (laughs) i'm watching pigs explode and hearing michael stipe go everybody hurts and i I lost it i have i've never been able to listen to that song without picturing pigs exploding i won't be able to either i'm not mad about it But oh, anywho, so that little story at the, at the end there had to tell it. But we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up here because I know you guys have uh, have to get going. Um, but so for anyone listening that uh, is not already following us on social media, we are the Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram. And normally uh, Maurice handles our Twitter, but it is at Boogeyman's the on Twitter. Um, we also have a Patreon if you guys are interested. It's three dollars a month for all of our unedited episodes. Higher tiers will get you stuff in the mail and birthday picks. Um, we are part of the Red Pantheon Network, which I'm going to toss things over to Josh for those types of plugs, as he is the Professor X to the Red Pantheon's X Men. 
So why well, thank you. Yeah, the Red Pantheon is like an art collective of rad friends doing rad projects. We've got podcasters, artists, musicians, photographers, you name it, uh retail stores even. Uh so yeah, check out radpantheon.com for a list of all the projects uh, that are associated with the collective. Uh one of the things that I do is share crowdfunding comic book projects on instagram you can visit me at comics boost just spell comics with an x and uh, mike and i do another podcast uh, called raised by rentals uh, where we we improv new stories to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies tv and games from the vhs era he's told me about some of these rants i hear they get pretty wild Oh yeah, they 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 get they get fun. I heard some of them through the through the um, office doors. What, one of <laughs> my, my one of my personal favorites is is Cobra Two Operation Miami Beach. So uh, <laughs> that's a good one. I'm a big fan of the slasher camp, but uh, yeah, sorry, I always mess up the social media. That's, that's like my thing. I always mess up the social media plugs. Good job, Dad. You know, it's, star. It's tradition at this point, <laughs> but. <laughs> so for anyone uh, that, that wants to watch our next movie before we cover it, it's going to be episode 179. We're going right back to our Freddy films with A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. So that'll be coming up next. Um, Ooh. Yeah, it's it's Sorry, one, one of my – it's it's honestly one of my least favorites of the franchise, but it's still – it's a Freddy movie, so I like them all. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So I do want to thank you both for joining me today. And Tegan, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. I'm older now, Dad. I'm one year closer to my death and being an adult. How do you feel about it? Oh, jeez. I thought just being 16 was enough, man. I got to apply for this uh, learner's permit. That's scary right there. That's a horror movie. I can drive soon. Ah. And, I have, and I have worse vision than Grandma. Dun, dun, dun. Are you scared? <laughs> Yes. Maybe maybe we should have covered some car related horror movie. <laughs> I know, right? You would be it's the type to, you'd be the type to strap yourself in for fifteen different seatbelts and come into the car with a crash test dummy outfit on. And I'd just be like, Really, Dad? <laughs> I'm living my own personal horror movie. But uh, yeah. anyway. Thanks, the road. Mike, for <laughs> anyway, thanks Mike for, for having us on. Thanks to Maurice and Susie who couldn't be here, but yeah, this is this has been fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I had a blast with this, and and thank you both for uh, allowing me to try out this new format and being the first two to to try it with me. So I really appreciate that, and I and I think it it went pretty well. This was a really fun conversation. So yeah, it's just fun to rant about one of my favorite movies. So I'm not bad at all. Absolutely. So I know we will definitely have you both on again in the future. I'm 100% sure of that. <laughs> but uh, we should wrap this up here. So as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at the Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned. Bye.